it's time to speak the truth, to stop hiding behind code. Seems to me it's time for us to take a close look at what we mean by diversity and why it matters. I hear it all the time. We need to diversify our board. You know, I'm not the easiest consultant in the world because I ask why. It's interesting how often people answer that question using some form of the word diversity. We need diverse perspectives. We have to avoid groupthink. It's probably impacting our ability to think with diverse points of view. There's some folks who get it warmer, like we need to reflect the communities we serve. But when you press, they can't exactly tell you why. And those folks, by the way, those folks are ahead of the game. In presenting the challenge of a lack of diversity on the board to a client, we actually use this outrageous example. Can you imagine the NAACP with only white board members? The board member literally said, sure, you just need board members with contacts and money. That's when I knew I needed to do this podcast. So today I'd like to offer some thoughts about why diversity is important in your organization with a specific focus on your board. I'll be really specific about what I mean when I use the word, and I will offer you some practical ideas about how you might think about your recruitment efforts. Lastly, a few thoughts about retention and engagement. I'm thinking you might not agree with everything I say, but that's okay. I've raised three kids. I'm totally used to it. Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, author, blogger, and founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab gets it. She is here to help. I suppose I should define what I mean by diversity. So I want you to imagine a dinner party. Maybe like 12 people. Unlike any dinner party you have ever been to, all kinds of different people there, many of whom you've never met. No one stops talking. Everyone has this unique perspective, and not everyone agrees for sure. Some folks made you think about your own position. Some people had ideas that were kind of wild and creative. A variety of professions were represented. The table of a dozen had folks who were different from each other in all sorts of ways. Some folks were from the U.S., others international. Or if they weren't from a different country, maybe they'd spent time on a kibbutz or had studied abroad. Maybe there was a gay couple or an atheist. Perhaps a young Asian woman who had worked in social media. An African-American woman who'd been a nonprofit executive director deeply committed to the issue of homelessness. Maybe one woman came from great wealth. Another grew up thinking that everyone bought groceries with food stamps. There was a boisterous extrovert, and there were a couple people that you had to sort of pull their thinking out of. Okay, get the picture? Now let's imagine that there was a problem. Something comes up. I don't know. Let's say the electricity goes out before the food is finished being cooked. What kind of solutions might be generated at a table like this? I guarantee you that everyone will have different ideas. Maybe yours is pretty good, but someone had a wonderful, funny idea. There was no group think. Lots of different ideas were put out on the table because each person brought some unique life experience, professional expertise, or attribute. A woman whose dad was an electrician tried to tackle the problem. A musician sat down at the piano to keep the mood light. A friendly sort started down the street to see if neighbors might lend an oven or candles. The other thing is that the problem solving that night was not tidy. No consensus. 
and the evening was more interesting, more stimulating, and more creative than any other you can remember. This is what I mean when I think about diversity. I think of it broadly, and I think we have to. So why does it matter? Well, first of all, it's it's what makes the world go round. It what makes our world special. So I went to Catholic grade school. I lived in a Catholic neighborhood. My parents hung out with people from our town, most of whom were Catholic. Everyone was nice, don't get me wrong. But differences of opinion? Eh, not so much. Most were Republican. Everyone was white. Oh, there was this Jewish family on the next block. Their grade school daughter, Lisa, and I became friends. I remember I was invited for Hanukkah a couple times, and my head usually spun. I heard Hebrew prayers, learned rituals, chatted with her parents about what Judaism meant to them. And then I I learned that the whole world out there was not Catholic, white, and Republican. My eyes were opened, and I was richer for it. That's why diversity matters. Because groupthink by folks of similar backgrounds, life experience, socioeconomic status, sexual orientation or gender identity, race and gender, if they come all homogenous like that, they approach things similarly. Diversity matters because it's who we are as a society. And because problem-solving, strategic thinking is always richer and more robust with a table filled with unique perspectives. Because debate is a good thing. It might affirm my decision or my thought, but it might change it. Either way, I believe the decision will be a stronger one for the debate. So let's hit the pause button here for a second. Maybe you agree, maybe you don't. As I noted above, I I like different points of view. But I have the floor here, and sadly, this is not a Collins show, although that would be something I would totally dig. So I've offered my thinking, my picture of diversity, and why I believe it is essential. I'd like now to move to the world of nonprofits, most specifically nonprofit boards. Now let's take the example from the introduction. Why would a board of an African-American civil rights organization not be well-served by a board of 16 white men? Let me count the ways. One, not a soul on that board has lived experience of being black. They take their own privilege for granted. I know I do. They have never been stopped in a store and accused of shoplifting solely because of their race. Number two, This group, without people of color, will be ill-equipped to develop strategies to advocate, lobby for the rights of African Americans, and will be ill-equipped to move towards the vision of that civil rights organization. Three, some of these folks may indeed be passionate about the challenges African Americans face, but it's pretty likely that others will be less well-informed. Now, let's extrapolate from that for a second. Does that mean a straight person could not sit on the board of an LGBT organization? I don't think so. Does it mean that an entire group of straight people would serve as first-rate thought partners as the entire board of an LGBT organization? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Allies add perspective. That's important. Okay, maybe you get it. But then you wonder, why is it that many boards are not diverse? While not universally true, there's a stereotype for a reason. 
Most boards are disproportionately filled with older 50-plus white men who live more than comfortably. So if it's a good thing for an organization to have a diverse board, what the hell is in the way? Why would the vast majority of boards be disproportionately older white men? You may come up with a list of other obstacles, but here are four of them. One, myths. All of us are fighting a myth that has been with us for a really long time, that board members must be wealthy or know people who are. And I am here to tell you that is actually untrue. All board members must be absolutely in love with their organization. They must be deeply passionate about the work, and they must be willing to be vocal and visible ambassadors outside the boardroom. This will lead to expanded visibility for the organization and will lead to the organization being known by and appreciated by a diversity of folks in your community. And as for this whole notion that board members need to be wealthy or wealth adjacent, I encourage you to listen to one of my favorite podcasts. It's called From Kitchen Volunteer to Board Chair. I'll give you the headline. My dear friend Sylvia Vogelman started in the kitchen slicing and dicing vegetables for an organization in New York called God's Love We Deliver. She loved that organization, still does. And she got more and more involved because the volunteer managers didn't see them as slicer and dicers. They saw them as important stakeholders in the organization. And so when there was an opportunity to do more, Sylvia raised her hand. She had a direct male experience. And so she offered her services as a volunteer in fundraising. And every Tuesday morning at 6.30, she was there in the kitchen looking at these beautiful white subway tiles. And she had an idea. What if we sold them? I could buy one for my dear friend Jeff Heyman, who died of AIDS. My tile would have a heart on it, indicating that Jeff was gone. I could buy one just for my family. And I could spend $250. Sylvia is not a woman of means. And I can tell you that that endeavor has done two things. It has raised, I think at last count, half a million dollars, a million dollars. I'm not sure, but let's just say it's $500,000. But more importantly, the fundraising effort is mission-centric, and you cannot go into the kitchen at God's Love We Deliver without goosebumps pouring all over your body. Sylvia is not wealthy, but she has a wealth of passion and a wealth of creativity. That's what it takes. So enough already on this wealthy board member myth. Here's number two, fishing in the same pond. I'd like you to go back to my example of my hometown on Long Island. Most people live in pretty homogenous worlds and know folks who look like themselves. And so when it's time to suggest board members, maybe you suggest the person in your book club, your golf buddy, maybe your accountant. And before you know it, you have a board that's filled with people who share the same sphere of influence. You're all fishing from the same pond. If you believe a diverse board is important to good strategy and to your ability to introduce the organization to many and different kinds of people, each person joining the board must bring a unique sphere of influence. It's really that simple. That's how you build diversity. That's how you build a strong and robust board. 
who can reach a ton of people and help you to build an army of the engaged. Here's number three. Funders build certain kinds of boards. Now, many nonprofits are started by these remarkable people who see a gap or a need that needs to be addressed. They start organizations. And to get started, you know what they need. They need a board. And who do they ask? Maybe their lawyer, maybe a fellow parent from their kid's school, maybe their accountant. I call this first board Friends of the Founder. These folks generally have the same sphere of influence. It's usually the same sphere as the founder. And so the board members, the ambassadors, are all fishing in the similar pond. By the way, there's another really important challenge that comes as a result of this kind of board building. Your first team of board members may be a lot more connected to the founder than to the cause. What they'll hear a lot is, sure, I want to help you, not, oh my goodness, what you are doing is so important, I will do anything for that cause. Those are two different statements. So here's number four, and let's revisit. We've got myth building, fishing in the same pond, how founders build boards, and number four, resistance to term limits. Resistance is most often expressed as the fear of loss of institutional memory. Dig a bit deeper, and I think you'll see that boards can get, as I think about it, a little bit clubby and therefore resistant to new folks. Last and most ironically, the biggest objection is just sheer resignation. And I don't mean resigning from the board. I mean emotional resignation. If we move people off, we won't be able to fill the slots. To this, I simply say hogwash. So there they are, four examples of obstacles that are in the way. And I'm not, I, I'm not diminishing them. These are significant obstacles. And moving them out of the way takes work. Really, it takes work. We, ha we have to be intentional about this. This is critical, so critical that your board is an important, strong, robust, diverse engine that works in partnership with your staff to lead the organization towards the fulfillment of its mission. So the first thing we have to do is change perceptions of boards and offer strategies for building robust and thriving boards. And I'm hoping this podcast, which perhaps you'll share with your board or your recruitment or nominating committee, and I'm talking not just to the executive director, I'm talking to the board chair as well. Secondly, it takes something that nonprofits never seem to have enough time for, planning. A nonprofit needs to get great people on the bus and needs to do that with intention. It needs to be approached like casting. Here's what I need to tell you. Help me, I need new board members is neither intentional nor a strategy. And I can't tell you how many times I have heard that plea. So in this final section, I want to offer some strategies that offer some guidance, but that will work if and only if your organization really internalizes the why of diversity and understands that it is critical to increasing the reach, scope, and resources of your organization. 
And no kidding, these strategies work. I've implemented them. I've seen them work. Here's what you need to do. This is the practical part, and I think you might want to take some notes. Maybe you have a nominating and governance committee, but this intentional effort requires time and energy. So maybe what you want to do is build a SWAT team with a focused mission. I believe there needs to be a commitment of time by a group of board, a group of board staff, even outside folks, who would add value to dig into the development of a plan to transform the board. So maybe it's folks on your board, but like, this is an HR thing. You're hiring board members. Now you're not paying them. Their payment comes in the satisfaction of making a difference, but you're making hires. So maybe there's someone who runs a recruitment firm that would be good to add to the mix who's not on your board. These folks get to dig into the development of a plan to transform your board. Number two, design the ideal board. Some people call this a composition matrix. Think about expertise, life experience, attributes, the ideal board your specific organization needs. Agree on those and then layer on top of those, not in an oh-by-the-way kind of way, but layer on top of those age, gender, race, sexual orientation, geography, whatever those other elements are. Then third, I want you to take that plan, that matrix to your full board. Get them excited about what that board could look like and get their buy-in. Then begin to talk about a focused effort to cast for those particular individuals. This is so much more effective than going to a board meeting and saying, we really need new board members. Five people are terming off in January. Who do you know? I actually don't want who you know on the board. I want you to think differently. I want you to think creatively. And this matrix is going to help you to do that. Because if I say to you, look, we really need someone with real sector expertise in the foster care system to help our organization that is working to try to figure out what to do with kids who are aging out of foster care, having a sector expert on the board might be really, really great. They might be able to write an op-ed. They might be a spokesperson at a fundraiser. And maybe you can find a woman or a person of color, maybe someone who has been in the foster care system, right? That opens up all kinds of different lanes in your brain and starts to get you thinking about recruitment in a much more focused, strategic way. So take a new organization I worked with in the Bronx. It was started by two women, white, psychotherapists who are serving low-income families in the Bronx. The work of this organization was to keep families together during difficult times and to strengthen parenting skills. You know it. If you're a parent and you know that you're going through very stressful times, you're not the best parent. This organization wants to strengthen your ability to parent in tough times. I loved this mission. So the first group of board members were friends of the founders. I arrive to an organization that is stalled. They need a different board. They're talking to themselves. So the SWAT team begins its work. 
The team knows that each member must be in love with the organization. That is criterion number one. They've got to be in love with the work this organization is doing. And once they cross that bar, they identify a few key priorities. Maybe they need a strategic planner, and they did. They needed someone who knew something about fundraising. Somebody about who understood family dynamics. And we believed they needed someone with deep roots in the South Bronx to give the board gravitas and credibility. Someone who is deeply committed to the future of the world of the South Bronx. So the team then began conversations about these skills. And these conversations became creative and then layered on race, gender, age, etc. And we began creative, what I call creative fishing. So you want a strategic planner. Okay. In New York, there are a whole bunch of management consulting firms, and each of them has an affinity group. How about reaching out to the African-American Affinity Group at McKinsey, one of the world's largest management consulting firms? Reach out to them. Affinity groups are always looking for something to sink their teeth into. So one of the members of the SWAT committee met with the Affinity Group and landed on an engagement manager who was looking to give back. And guess what? He grew up in the South Bronx. Brought him up to the facility. He fell in love with it. Boom. This organization had an African-American strategic planner on his board. Let me tell you, you cannot go wrong by looking at affinity groups of corporations. How about a fundraiser? Well, here, there's a lot of ponds to fish in. How about other organizations that also support children and families? What about their boards? Is there anybody who's terming off of their boards and might be looking for another opportunity? Connect with your other organizations in the sector and ask them. Someone who understands family dynamics. Now, the world of psychotherapy is big in New York City for a lot of reasons. And there can be some pretty wealthy and wealth-adjacent psychotherapists in New York City. And so we began to tap into those. Here's someone who has expertise in family dynamics, who has a very successful practice on the Upper West Side, and knows a lot of people in that space. The person is affluent and adjacent to wealth. Bingo. And then lastly, even though our engagement manager came from the South Bronx, think about how to embed and create that sense of gravitas that, in fact, this organization cares deeply about the South Bronx. Is there an elected official or a former elected official from the South Bronx that could join your board and maybe have access to um, funding from the borough? This is how you must think, and it will ignite your board to think about casting for board members in a totally different and much more highly effective way. Promise you. And if you start to think about it this way, and then you say, how might I... Then layer on gender, race, sexual orientation, age, when I'm casting for a particular person. So let's say I'm looking for a public relations person who might, because I certainly can't afford a director of communications. Are there minority public relations firms in New York City that focus on giving visibility to the stories and voices of Latinos or the products that Latinos consume? Uh-huh. There are. Might you reach out to them and talk with them 
If not them, perhaps they have some kind of lead. That's how it works. Now, am I saying that it's easy? No, I'm not saying that it's easy. Am I saying that it's impossible? Totally not. But am I suggesting that it requires time and intention? Yeah, I am. This little organization in the South Bronx was successful in building a small but diverse board. And the leads and connections of each of them led to new people. They built larger, more diverse spheres of influence. Each person who sat at that table knew all kinds of different people. And they began to tap into these folks. And in six months' time, they went to an early funder to show board progress. The funder was impressed. The organization had started to raise some new money, and the funder matched it. These two gifts enabled them to hire a full-time executive director. The organization is now on its way. It can be done, and I think I've made the argument it needs to be done. Not because it's politically correct. If you approach diversity as something that just is politically correct, stop in your tracks and listen to this podcast all over again. It's not about that. It's about that dinner table. It's about the problem solving when the electricity went out. It's about everyone having a voice and that each of those voices has something unique to say because of experience, professional background, where they come from, who they are, their life experiences. All of that comes together to make the decisions the organization makes richer as a result. The other important thing not to forget is every organization, every nonprofit organization is in the business of creating reach, making sure as many people know about your work as possible. Why? I call it building an army of the engaged. You need an army, not just an army of donors. You need an army of people who believe in what you're doing. Maybe they're donors. Maybe in that army is your next executive director your next board member, your next staff member, your next volunteer. But if you're only talking to the same people, you won't find them. But the last thing is that power in a nonprofit rests not only in its staff and its board. It rests in the number of people who are participating in the work of your organization. It rests in your army, the army that might write a letter that might go to a rally to state capital, that might write a check, that might post awesome video on their social media that goes viral. You are not effective unless you've built an army. And the only way to build an army is to value and bring diversity to life. I really hope that you'll think about listening to this with your board, with your staff, your nominating and recruitment committee because I believe there are myths about board service. I believe that people look at diversity in a very narrow way. I believe some people think diversity is a politically correct term. It's not about that at all. And once we jump over that hurdle, once we jump over the hurdle that everybody who's on a board has to be able to give a lot of money and has to know a lot of people who are rich, once we can get over that hurdle, organizations can fly. Full stop. That's what this podcast was about. That's what diversity is about. Yes, 
Diversity is the right way to approach the building of any organization because that's who we are as a society, because that's what results in the richest and most robust debates, strategies, conversations. And those are the things that lead to maximum impact. I hope you found this podcast valuable. I just felt so propelled to talk about this particular issue. And I hope that it has been um, enlightening. And I, I hope it will spur a lot of conversation in your organization. Until then, this is Joan Gary, thanking you from the bottom of my heart for all that you do. Know that you can always join us as a subscriber to my weekly blog. It is free. We provide weekly blog posts that are actionable, practical, and generally have some kind of sense of humor. Know that every product and service that I offer is based and rooted in this, that I and my team are a champion for your success. Kind of obsessed with it. Our dearth of leadership leads me even more strongly to advocate for nonprofit leaders. Our society is hungry for leaders. We need you, and we're here for you. Thanks very much, and I'll see you next time. Joan Gary's obsession with supporting your work takes many forms. Subscribe to her blog at joangary.com, reaching over 100,000 visitors monthly from over 170 countries. Explore the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, the best online resource for board and staff leaders of small nonprofits at nonprofitleadershiplab.com. Join 15,000 kindred spirits on Facebook at Thriving Nonprofit with Joan Gary.